Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 836 in our worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work, working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, to the church and which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I wonder if you can answer this question. Who's the most famous mother in all human history? It's hard to think anyone other than Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? I mean, worldwide impact. I mean, I know the most famous is your mom, I understand, right? Whistler's mother, I don't know, you know, but no, no one compares uh, to, uh, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're very familiar with many aspects of her story. We, you know, we, we think of her as a young teenage uh, girl, I imagine her weaving when the angel, we think of her at the Annunciation when the angel appears to her and lets her know that she's going to have a baby. We think of her, we know about her uh, when she and her husband Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and have, a, have Jesus born in a cave outside of Bethlehem, the beautiful story of Christmas and his birth. We also perhaps are familiar with the presentation of Jesus in the temple when they bring him and Simeon uh, uh, prays for him and, and it says, Mary holds all the these things in uh, in her uh, in her heart, the presentation in the temple. But perhaps also we know about Mary for her presence at Jesus' very first public miracle, the, the miracle of turning water into wine, which is an appropriate uh, miracle when you think about a church that meets at a you know saloon, right? Uh, and she's, he's there at the wedding, and they've run out of wine, and, uh, um, and Jesus uh, she comes. This is found in John chapter 2. She comes to Jesus, and she says, uh, they have no more wine. Now, no one knows who Jesus is yet, except for Mary, probably, you know, a few people. Uh, they have no wine, and he says, I, I don't know if this, my time has not yet come, but you know, when Mama speaks, you listen. And he doesn't really, that's kind of, he says, no, time's not yet come. And then she turns to the servants and she says, as mothers tend to know what their kids will do, whatever he says to you, 
do it, right? And of course, he turned water into wine. And this is the first miracle reminiscent of the fact that Jesus is the ultimate master of ceremonies who always provides the perfect and good wine. And Jesus is the ultimate bridegroom at whose place we will gather someday for the final great wedding on the la- at the last day. We know perhaps about that story. Perhaps you know you're familiar with the other story, which tells us about her and her family coming to rescue their crazy son. They think he's lost his mind. They want to take him in because he's, he's saying, and doing things that make them think he's a little... It's a, it's, a, it's a true story. It's here in the Bible. Maybe you uh, remember that story when Jesus, they said, her mother's out to get you, out to find you. And he said, who is my mother? Who is my father? He who does my, the will of my father is my mother and my sister and my brother. Yes, we know perhaps about that story. But then there's another story that comes up a little bit later when we see her standing and watching her beloved son die upon a cross. And we know she's there because the scriptures tell us in the Gospel of John that Jesus looked down on her and to John the apostle and said, son, she'll be your mother. Woman, behold your son. Basically taking care of his mother. He's the firstborn child. Taking care of his mother, asking her to fall. And after that, she lived in John's home. We know about those stories, but I wonder if you're familiar with the very last appearance of Mary in the scriptures. I've gone through all of those, and most of you say, oh yeah, I know that. Believe it or not, the last appearance of Mary is found around Ascension Day, which is told to us not in the text which, uh, which Janice read for you. Janice's text tells us more about the meaning of Ascension Day, which we'll get to that in a minute. But in the, gospel, in the book of Acts, we find that Jesus meets together with his disciples on a hill, and they say, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of this time to Israel? He says, no, it's not for you to know the times, but... Uh, Uh, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, And when he had said things, as these things it says in the ninth verse, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a, a cloud took him out of their sight. Ascension Day was this past Thursday, 40 days after Easter and often in the church, we've recognized Ascension Day on the Sunday, on the Sunday, Ascension Sunday on the Sunday following Ascension Day. So they watched him go up out of their sight. And this is while they were gazing, gazing up, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then going on, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, uh, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, very likely the same upper room where Jesus had spent his last evening with his, his disciples. They were staying. And listen to the list of names. Peter and John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. All these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the last mention of Mary, no longer standing beside a grave watching her son die, but joined with other men and women together, worshiping Jesus, her son, and in prayer, and in one accord, 
waiting for the promise that would come. Mary, the mother's Je- mother of Jesus' last mention of Scripture is found right in this text that relates to Ascension Day. So here's Mother's Day, um, which is a holiday that's been celebrated about 100 years or so. And it's Ascension Day, which is a holiday that's been celebrated about 2,000 years or so, when the church has remembered the ascension of Jesus. What is the ascension of Jesus? It's the forgotten holiday for most Christians. If I said to you something about Jesus' birth, you'd say, oh, yeah, sure, Christmas time, right? If I said to you something about Jesus, oh, yeah, Good Friday, yeah, he died. Uh, anybody you talk, well, what, what, what's the holiday that celebrates Jesus' uh, uh, resurrection? Well, that's Easter, of course. But there are four great events in the life of Jesus. And the fourth of them is Ascension Day, but it's often forgotten about. We're not going to forget about it because it's way too important to your life here today. So let's think about Ascension Day. Let's think about, first of all, the importance of Jesus' ascension, the results of Jesus' ascension, and the response to Jesus' ascension. Or we might say, what, what, ascension, what Jesus' ascension is why it matters, and what we should do about it. Let's take those three thoughts together this morning. First of all, the importance of Jesus' ascension or the meaning of Jesus' ascension. If you're like me, and many of you probably are, you, you have not given much thought at all to the reality, the importance of Jesus' ascension. In fact, the very first sermon I ever preached on Jesus' ascension, I've been preaching since I was 17 years old, and I've been doing it every week basically since I was 25, and I'm 58 Ascension Day just went by for me. very first time I ever preached on Ascension was about eight or, seven or eight years ago when I thought, wait a minute, I've been ignoring this holiday. I just thought about Ascension Day being that, oh, Jesus just went away. He went up, and he'll come back, right? And so, meanwhile, get to work and tell everybody about him, right? Well, those are all good things, but they're not the reason why Ascension Day is so important. Ascension doesn't mean absence. Ascension means enthronement. Ascension. When you think of Ascension Day, think of enthronement. Jesus went up into the heavenly place in order to assume his rightful place as the king of the world, the king of this universe. Ascension, don't think of it as going up Think of it as someone ascends to the throne. That's If you lived in Great Britain, you would know right off what that means, right? Uh, ascension speaks about enthronement. Jesus, who had come from the Father and had been clothed in human flesh, had completed the work he came to do, and now he was returning to the Father. What was the work he had come to do? He had come to be involved in the life-saving work of rescue, or the more fancy word, redemption, to bring this beautifully broken world back to himself and to do it at the cost of his own life. So Jesus came and clothed himself in human flesh, lived a human life, died a human death under the weight of all of humanity's sin, though he himself was sinless, and he rose from the dead, and he finished that work, and he appeared for about a month and a half to his disciples, but he wasn't done. That's why he said to Mary on the day of his resurrection, when she clung to him, she said, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, right? I haven't finished yet. Yes, Jesus uh, has ascended to the Father to take his place as the 
king and head of the human race. He is the second and the new Adam. He's come to restore what was broken, and he's finished that work, and he spent some time with his disciples, as now he's going off to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the scriptures are replete with all of that information about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus we forget about this, and I used to think that this is, this is actually true. Jesus still has his glorified body. He didn't leave it on this earth. He didn't just kind of uh, let, let go of it and create a spirit up there. No, he has his body. He still is the lamb who was slain, he's spoken of. He's got that body, and that body uh, is with God in the heavenly place. In, according to, uh, in, in his glorified human body, he's ascended to the throne alongside his father. For example, in Revelation 3.21, Jesus conquered, and it says, sat down with his father on the throne, where he receives unending praise, which we've looked at in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And Jesus will reign at God's right hand until all enemies are subdued under his feet, as Psalm 110 and Acts 2 and uh, Hebrews 15, all these verses talk about someday all enemies will be brought under his feet. You see, the Scriptures teach us that God's kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus was enthroned in the heavenly place. He sits on heaven's throne. And it will not be consummated until he returns and builds his kingdom on his new earth and new heaven here. It has been inaugurated, not yet consummated, but in order for it to happen, he needed to leave and take his rightful place until the end time when everything will be made new under him. There's a lot of thought today, if you're in those kinds of circles, about a royal wedding that's going to take place in about a week, right? Everybody's excited about this, and I think, I don't know why we get excited. I don't know why it's a story, but apparently it is. Uh, if I was British, I think it should be a story for me, but uh, I'm not. And, uh, but anyway, there's a wedding, but it kind of reminds me of the, uh, you know, the, uh, when Prince Harry and Princess Harry, which is her formal name, right? No, Princess Henry will be her formal name. Uh, which they never use anymore, uh, Megan, when they're married, they'll be part, then there will be this natural uh, uh, succession toward the throne. He's not next in line, of course, but, uh, uh, but th that's all part of this whole idea of the monarchy. It reminds us, though, of Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II ascended to the throne on February 6th, 1952. She's been reigning since 1952, when at the early age of 25, her father, King George VI, died. And when that happened, I can't remember exactly where she was, but she was, uh, they were not together at that point. And on February 6th, her father died, and she was proclaimed to be the Queen of England by executive councils and, and privies right there at that time, because as soon as her father had died, she was the next in line. Now, for the Queen Elizabeth, February 6th is not the date you really remember if you're a British citizen, citizen so much. What we remember is her coronation on June the 2nd, 1953, a year after her father had died because there was an appropriate period of mourning and of preparation. And so, though she was, uh, in, in all fact, the Queen of England, she was not finally fully coronated, coron coroned or crowned, whatever you say, corona, I don't know, um, and... Uh, uh, until about a year or so later, there's a gap of time. And in some ways, that's a parallel, not perfect, but somewhat of a parallel to what's happened for Jesus. 
Jesus has finished the work. He's, re, he's re, redeemed fallen humanity. And then he, he ascended 40 days after Easter to sit on the throne until all the enemies and all the history of time will be brought together and there will be a final coronation at the end of time. Or if you want to take the marriage theme of it, they, uh, he, is, he is the bridegroom who is preparing for his bride. He's betrothed. We are his wife. The church is the wife of Jesus. This is why marriage is such an important image in the life, in the, in the, in the biblical story. Uh, it, where the church is the bride of Christ, but they will not be consummated until Christ returns to the great supper of the Lamb. We sang about that, and we sang the Lamb, the lamb has overcome it. This is all part of the big story of why the ascension of Jesus matters. You may think, well, this is just ideal theology. But no, it's not. Because it's telling you that everything about this world in which you live right now belongs to him. That God is the ultimate king over all the earth. That Jesus is Lord. And not everybody recognizes that, but it is the ultimate truth. And that God is working everything out through his church, his his bride, um, his body, if you will. All these beautiful images in the scripture in order to fully accomplish his purposes. That what matters in the world is not whatever national or international or state or political theme you want to place your heart and soul in, get beyond that. Get beyond that. In fact, we want to stand in a prophetic distance towards all of that. I believe that that's an appropriate thing to do. And to, and to, and to embrace the fact that Jesus is the king over all there. He, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what the apostle Paul said. It, those were almost revolutionary words. In fact, they truly were. There were people who died. I told you in past times, people who died in a hundred years or so after Jesus' time because they would not say, Caesar is Lord. For them, Jesus was Lord. The reality of the ascension of Jesus to be the Lord of the universe had direct implications to everything about the way they lived their lives. Their ultimate allegiance was to Jesus fundamentally and ultimately. They knew that kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall. Uh, Stories will change, but Jesus is the king over all the earth. Well, I'm getting into my next point a little bit by happenstance, and that is this. Well, what then, secondly, are some of the results of Jesus' ascension? Some of the results of Jesus' ascension. Well, the result of Jesus, there are three things I want to share with you. Number one, Jesus is king. Because of Jesus' ascension, Jesus' king, the result, Jesus' kingship. And that's what I had Janice read for you, all these various texts that come. And I, in fact, I had several of them printed in, in addition to that, uh, uh, that uh, wrong, wrong bulletin. There it is. Um, that speak about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, that Jesus is the, the king over all the earth. Look at these verses of Scripture. Uh, for this, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and following, it says there in the path that she went for it, that he, according to the, his great might, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is is named not only in this age, right, now, but in the age to come. You see this uh, 
all-encompassing nature of the kingship, the rulership. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And he is all, every rule, every authority, every power, every heavenly being, all are accountable, directly accountable to him right now and in the age to come. Jesus is the ruler of this world. 1 Peter 3.22 says he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. As I said earlier, Jesus didn't just go away and say, I'll be back. He said, and to tell everybody, he says, I'm going to my kingdom. In fact, in Matthew 28, there's so many texts, I can't help but bring them in. When Jesus uh, meets his disciples, probably the same day as this, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Let us go as my representative because I'm the king over everything in heaven and in earth. Why was he the king? Because he had died under the, as, a, as God's representative human. He died under the weight of human sin and conquered his evil by receiving himself the penalty of its death penalty of death, and rose again victorious. So he is the king over all the earth. And notice what it says here. And he put, uh, verse uh, Ephesians 1, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, the church is not here just to help you meet your needs and have a meaningful life. You are here to help God accomplish his purposes through his body, the church. In our uh, uh, Protestant tradition, we sometimes have de-emphasized the importance of God's worldwide church. We're a part of that. And if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ... You became part of a family which is far bigger than you. And Jesus wants to ex exercise his rule through his church. That doesn't mean we want a theocracy to have a church running. The no, we, we do it just like what Jesus did by giving his life, by serving, by, being, by replacing the values of this world with self-giving, self-sacrifice, suffering even for the sake of Jesus as he did for us. We follow Jesus' example, but we are doing that as an expression of what it means to be his followers in the world. The result of Jesus' ascension, first of all, is that we can rejoice in the kingly reign of Jesus. What a blessing that is. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes the world discourages me. Does it ever you? It does. When I see how far away we've drifted from the principles that really make life work, it can be really frustrating to me. I see it on a global scale. I see it on a national scale. I see it on a local scale. But I see it especially on a personal scale, Right? myself, and those whom I love. And I think about our church and how sometimes it can be so uh, discouraging. Oh, there's so much to be done. We've lost so much ground. Where are we going to? I have to come back to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King over the all of Jesus will accomplish his purposes. He will build his church. He will make all things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his 
purpose, that Jesus has a big plan because sometimes I have to say to you, my heart gets broken, not just by the problems, the, 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 the wrong decisions that get made out there, but my heart gets broken by the pain that we go through right here. Some of you know, you know, you know what kinds of pains you've gone through or others, and I sit sometimes by a bedside or by a graveside or, you know, by the talking after the worship service, perhaps, or sometimes just around the town, and I feel, oh, it hurts. There are no easy answers for some of the problems that we go through, and no good, simplistic, glib responses, except to say that the God who loved me and gave himself for me can be trusted, even if I don't understand or like him sometimes, and that he is the good will make everything right someday and bring joy even out of the deepest sadnesses of our lives, the broken relationships, the lost relationships, and all the things that are going on, the financial uh, uh, difficulties that we might go through, various kinds of things. One of the results is we can say, Jesus, you are the king, and I am grateful, very grateful for it. So the first blessing or the result of Jesus' ascension is Jesus' kingship or lordship, we might say. The second is Jesus' intercession. Or we might say it, Jesus is our advocate. He's standing there at the right hand of the Father. He's our representative who intercedes for us. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says. Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The Jesus is representing us. Jesus is the, figure, the figurehead of all humanity. He still retains his divine human characteristics, and he is the one who died the penalty for our sin so that our sin no longer counts against us. He is our advocate, our lawyer, our representative, the one who intercedes. Isn't that great to know? A lot of times you think you've got to prove to God your goodness on your own. Forget it. <laughs> You're not good enough. The beauty is you have one in the heavenly place at the throne of God who was good enough and whose goodness is passed to you, who died your death so they could give to you his life. So he intercedes for us. Now, it's not to mean that God is angry and trying to kill us. I'm not trying to say that. Please, that's not what we're trying to say. But the point is more that Jesus has completed the finished work and he intercedes for us. And so, too, the Bible says, does the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groans which cannot even be expressed. Oh, my goodness. Aren't you grateful that when you don't even know how to pray, you can say, Holy Spirit, pray for me. <laughs> I don't know how to pray this one anymore. I know what I want. I know, I know what I think is right. <laughs> Intercede for me. Jesus is our intercessor he paid the penalty for our, but he can do that because he left. The human Jesus, the human divine Jesus went to be with the Father, and he is the one who is standing. That's why when Stephen was killed, uh, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, he gazes into heaven, he sees the glory of God, and he said, and it says, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open, 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And it's such a beautiful picture. While Stephen was being condemned by religious and human courts, he was being confirmed by the heavenly court, the one which truly mattered. While others were stoning him and, and calling him guilty, Jesus was standing before him saying, he's innocent. He's innocent. He belongs to me. And so that's why Jesus, Stephen could die with the words of Jesus on his lips. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was because of the ascension of Jesus that he could do that. Yes, he is our advocate with the Father. So we see the first uh, result is Jesus' kingship. And the second result is Jesus' intercession. And the third result is Jesus' presence. Jesus is present among us. This is crazy, you might think. Jesus in, in, in Matthew 28 said, um, uh, uh, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, teach them to serve all things that I have commanded you. Um, and, and lo, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that, and then he left. How is he with us if he goes away? Jesus himself said, it is for your good that I go away. Why? Because once he had gone to the heavenly place, he then was able to pour out his very spirit on all of humanity. And that's what happened 10 days later in the day we will celebrate next Sunday called Pentecost Sunday. The book of Acts began by telling us that Jesus, what Jesus began to do and teach until he left. Well, how is Jesus continuing to do and to teach stuff? He's doing it through his church, through people like me standing here and talking to you on his behalf. What a sacred honor and an overwhelming responsibility it is that I feel. But the Holy Spirit is not just given to the pastors. It's poured out on all men and women, old and young, all who call upon the name of the Lord. So while Jesus was in Galilee, he couldn't have been in Rome. But when Jesus was ascended, he could be present in Jerusalem. He could be present in Rome because his spirit had been given to his disciples who lived in those cities. Yes, that's such a beautiful thing. So when I today am speaking to you in Cave Creek, Jesus is also speaking to the people in Thailand right now. Or whatever time it is, whenever they have church service, I don't know. Maybe they're not doing it right now, but surely somewhere in Thailand, that's the truth about Jesus. Jesus is no longer limited to one space. He then was able to pour out his spirit, but he couldn't pour it out until he had gone up to the heavenly place where he could pour out his spirit, and that's what happened. And he told them to wait for that. So let's talk then briefly in closing about the response to Jesus' ascension. When Jesus then was uh, with his disciples and he ascended to the heavens, I read some of that for you already. It says, they went to Jerusalem, they went to the upper room, and here's their names, you know, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What did they do when they saw Jesus ascend? Well, the first thing they did is they were united in expectation. They went 
back. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on probably, but they went back and they obeyed and they gathered together in an upper room where they spent uh, where they spent 10 days together. And we find out later there were 120 of them there, okay? They're 10 days together in expectation. You know, and here we are, and we're like seven days from Pentecost Sunday, but we're on this side. We should be living in expectation of Jesus. It also says to us that they were a community united in one accord, in one accord. And it's fascinating to me how the gospel of Jesus Christ brings all these people together. All those people are now united in one accord. I wonder what they talked about for 10 days as they met. What do you think Jesus is going to do? What's going to happen? How are we going to fulfill it? They must have been, I would think, I'd be, I'm trying to think of myself, I'd be afraid. He's gone. He told us to go tub. And then he tells us to wait until we get power. I'm confused. I don't really know what to do. I hope God knows what he's doing because I sure don't, right? And they're meeting and day one, day two, day three, day four. And what else are they doing? They're united in their expectation. They're united in one accord. And they're united in prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the means by which we are able to see into the heavenly place. Prayer is the means by which we are to bring the power of the unseen realities of God's kingdom right here in the middle of our lives today. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It goes on from there, doesn't it? The thing I want you to see is that God's kingdom has come on earth as in heaven through the ministry of Jesus Christ, who then now completes his work, goes to sit at the right hand of God so that he is the king over all the earth, and he is our advocate before the Father, and he is also able then to pour out his spirit so that his kingdom work can continue around the world. When Jesus died, only a few hundred people knew about him. It never appeared to more than 500 people at a time. Within five or 10 or 20 years, the stories about Jesus had moved outside a little town of Galilee and Jerusalem, that little backwater area, problem area, even that day, that international politics, and had moved out from there all the way across the world. Not because Jesus walked around healing a lot of people, but because people had been filled with his spirit. Well, we've been meeting here enough as a church that We've been excited the way that God has brought people to our church family. But I'm excited about the years ahead, too. I'm a little frightened sometimes. As we've grown, it's getting more complicated, you know? Uh, We just need to figure out how best to support what God is doing. We need wisdom. We need to be united together in prayer, but full of expectation, because God will continue to fulfill His work, because this church is not ours, but it's His, and we belong to Him. Let's have prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Mary, for the example that she was at the beginning of her life when she said, be it unto me according to your word. And when as a young mother or mother of a a 30-year-old son, she said to others, whatever he says to you, do it. She had been one all along who had been responding to God. And encourage others to do it as well. And now here she is, I can imagine, as perhaps the elder states 
woman of that whole group gathered there, people looking to her, and she's worshiping her son. She's united in prayer. What a wonderful example, not only of motherhood, but also of sainthood, of what it means to really follow God's will. And sure enough for her, too, the Holy Spirit of God came down in response to them. Thank you that you are the king over the all the earth. Thank you that you are advocate with the Father. And thank you that you are with us always. Help us to be faithful to your commission. We're grateful to be a part of it. We're humbled as well. In Jesus' name.